Hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome back to The Highway with Kyle Shutt. I am Kyle Shutt. It is so good to be back. I am so sore. I uh, started seeing a, a trainer because it was it was time to make a life change, and I knew if I was going to go to the gym and just uh, sit there and stare at myself in the mirror and walk on a treadmill that nothing was going to happen, so I went down to Squatch Fitness here in Austin on Tillery Street, and um, I got a guy named Dave to just uh, whoop my ass into shape, and let me tell you, I am feeling every second of it, but it's good. It, uh, I was, I was drinking too much. I was eating too much. I was, uh, kind of, you know, my whole lifestyle is basically sitting on my ass and painting, sitting on my ass and podcasting, sitting on my ass, making music. And, uh, it, it was time to make a change. It feels really good to get active and up and out there. So if you've been waiting to get on that, uh, that program, then, uh, it, it's time. There, there's no time like the present. I, I hate to be cliche about it, but seriously, um, I feel so much better. And if you're waiting, do it now, and uh, if you're already doing it, uh, keep it up, because it's, let me tell you, it's really difficult uh, to <laughs> commit to that, getting up every day and uh, and getting out to that gym, but I'm glad I'm doing it. I feel a lot better, and uh, I want you to feel better, too. You know why? Because I care about you, damn it. Today on the highway, we're going to talk with a good old friend of mine, Mr. Beto Martinez. He uh, played in uh, a few of the bands uh, uh, that other people have been in that we've had on the show, like Adrian Casada and Alex Marrero. Uh, he used to play in Group of Phantasma and Brownout and uh, their version of Brown Sabbath. and uh, But his new band, Caramello Haze, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I cannot wait for y'all to hear us talk about it. I love interviewing all kinds of people, whether we're you know friends or complete strangers. But uh, the the friend interviews are really fun because we get to dig into a little bit more of the Austin history and, and the, the music scene uh, that, um, that we were all a part of. And so I'm ready to take a trip down memory lane. But first... It must be a slow news week because have you seen these headlines? That's not news! God, this one pissed me off. Uh, here we go. Gene Simmons' daughter, Sophie, is engaged. Now, you know what? Okay, nothing against uh, his daughter, Sophie. This is uh, has nothing to do with her. I am very happy for you. Congratulations, Sophie. I... Uh, uh, it's just, you should see the actual picture of this press release. It's not even a picture of her. It's just a picture of Jean and then a picture of her hand with the engagement ring on it. And I mean, God damn it, Jean. Okay. You know what? I, I got two points. Jean, stop making your daughter's engagement about you. Okay. I don't know why you felt it necessary to put this press release out. This is fucking garbage. That's not news. Number two, I'm kind of, I, I started this segment because it's fun to, to, to poke fun at shitty headlines, but it's, God, it almost seems like it's becoming the kiss, uh, uh, you know, slaughter hour. And I'm not, I'm not about that. I, 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 I might put a moratorium on, uh, on shitty Gene Simmons headlines because <laughs> that's not news. <laughs> and you think it wouldn't get any worse than that, but here's this hot slab of news here. Uh, I try not to call out the individual, uh, outlets that, that run these stories, but uh, I think I'm going to call out Rolling Stone on this one because this made the cover of the Rolling Stone. Uh, Rivers Cuomo hasn't had sex in two years, and boy, is he ready to rock. I mean, God, come on, y'all. That's on the cover? Okay, number one, that's not news because if you've been following Weezer at all through the years, then you know, that, number one, Rivers is kind of weird, and then also he's known for going through, you know, periods of celibacy, which is, hey, that's fine. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him. If, if anybody, I don't care. I don't, I'm not going to shame anybody for what they want, but does it belong on the cover of the Rolling Stone? I wonder what his bandmates think about that. Just being in this picture with him too. Um, I don't know. Is it, is it news? 
I mean, it's certainly clickbait, but um, the cover of that magazine, wow, I can't believe um, what it's become over the years. Uh, nope, that's not news. Right, here's a fun one. This isn't news, but uh, I am gonna I'm gonna go to bat um, for Vince Neil here. <laughs> I mean, not like he needs anybody to defend him, but uh, uh, th- th- this came from a, a different source. Uh, but it's uh, their their headline is uh, on yesterday's episode. We learned that Vince Neil is using a teleprompter on tour. Is that a big deal or nah? Um, and then they they have a picture of him here where like this you know the, they circled the teleprompter. And um, I'm going to go ahead and just say that, like, number one, that's that's not news. That's not a big deal. A lot of bands do that, especially these older bands who have, you know, like over 10 albums. And sometimes you can't remember every single lyric of every single song. And not everybody, you know, wants to have a music stand on stage or like a visible iPad or anything like that. So when you build these teleprompters, you can actually build it to look like a monitor wedge. And then it's just in there. It's rolling your, you know, your your front of house or your or your lighting engineer, you know, has full control of that, and it just scrolls. So you don't forget your lyrics and end up, you know, uh, doing the thing that like some bands do. I'm not going to name names, but when they get wasted when they play and they forget the second verse, so they just sing the first verse over again. You know, it's not like Vince Neil is actually singing anyway, or if he is, it's just not discernible. I don't even know if he really needs those lyrics uh, there, but, uh, plenty, plenty of bands have the teleprompters on stage. Um, there was even a huge band that we toured with one time that had them and they did not like the word, uh, teleprompter. So they made everyone call them word wedges, uh, which I thought was fun. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Who cares, man? Um, on, on the flip side of that, I did hear a story one time about, uh, rest in peace, uh, Chester Bennington, when, whenever he, uh, tried out for Stone Temple Pilots, they asked him, uh, if he wanted a teleprompter while they were rehearsing and getting ready. And he said, no, man, I I know every single one of the you know Stone Temple Pilots lyrics by heart. And I just thought that was really cool. So it is fun when, when you can uh, extend that amount of mental energy and uh, memorize all the lyrics, but it's not for everybody, especially when you've been boozing and, uh, and taking a, you know, uh, abusing drugs and, and, and shit for decades. Sometimes you need a little help, especially when there's just fire everywhere and, you know, go-go dancers and sh- shit. I don't know. Give the guy a break. I mean, I know they keep retiring and coming back and everything, but uh, Vince Neil having a teleprompter is not news. Talk about a slow news week. Uh, although, here is some news. Uh, this one uh, really caught uh, me by surprise this week. Nita Strauss leaves Alice Cooper's band, cancels solo tour dates. Uh, this one's huge for me uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, I tried to get Nita on the podcast uh, maybe about six months ago, and uh, her press agent told me that she was kind of holding off until her solo album dropped because she was going to you know, go on a, a tour of her own and all this stuff. And um, so I was really um, patiently awaiting that. So it's crazy to see that um, she's left Alice's band. Uh, she's one of the sickest guitar players of all time, and um, I was really looking forward to chatting with her about it, but maybe we can have something more to talk about when she comes back on because now... She joined Demi Lovato's band, so uh, maybe she's on some crazy alien conspiracy tip. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Nita, but that's news. Oh man, here's one. Um, I uh, I feel you know I, I I don't I don't like these fall down go boom stories. I'm sorry, that's not news. It's just sad, you know. But uh, I, I will mention this one. Um, the Rage Against the Machine vocalist injures leg mid show, finishes set sitting down. Man, don't fucking report this shit i mean i don't know I, I guess you know it is um of interest to people but uh of, of the trifecta of people that i thought would 
never be the ones to continue to play a show uh, with a broken leg. We've got, uh, what do we have? Dave Grohl, Axl Rose, and Zach De La Rocha. <laughs> I wouldn't have uh, bet on those three in a million years. So I don't know. Maybe it is news. But uh, all I can think of uh, whenever I read this headline is uh, Zach De La Rocha going, broken in the leg, broken in the leg. That's not news. All right, now I know this is the one you've all been waiting for. Um, I've I've predicted it for years and years, um, and it's it's news. Uh, I'll, I'll give him that. But uh, Zach Wild and Charlie Bonatti joined Pantera for 2023 reunion tour. Oh my God, that's ridiculous! Um, it's not a reunion. Number one, it's just going to be a tribute show. That's fine. Um, Charlie Bonatti and Zach Wilde doing it. That's, you know, that's what I have an issue with. Cause I swear to God, it was supposed to be me, uh, you know, doing this. They need a Texas boy up on that stage. I swear to God, let me look at my, I've got the memo somewhere here, but I, just, I swear to God, they, they asked me to do it. Um, but you know, whatever. All right. Uh, Zach Wilde's a great guitar player. He's going to do a killer job. Uh, Charlie Bonatti. I don't know. He doesn't really have, um, that style of like, you know, super enormous cannon drums that, uh, that Vinnie Paul was known for and stuff. So I don't know. You know, I'm uh, I'm sure it'll be a fun show. If you never got to see Pantera and you just want to go hear those songs, um, I know people are real up in arms about whether or not, you know, uh, society even needs a band like Pantera anymore with all this tough guy bullshit. But um, I don't know. Like, if you just go back and look at some of those live performances of them from, like, 91, 92, they were just the most devastating fucking band out there. And um, this isn't gonna come anywhere close to that kind of energy but i'm sure it'll be a fun celebration and i'm sure it will cost two hundred dollars <laughs> so congratulations boys you made the headlines again god i wonder what kind of happy horse shit they're gonna report on next week who cares this week we got beto martinez on the show we're gonna talk about caramelo hayes and uh, at the end of the interview we're going to hear a new song off that record called mia Sinto. i am so excited about it let's do things my way the highway Hey man. Hey Beto, what's going on, man? So much, dude. How you doing? I've been all right. I was just thinking, like, I can't remember the last time I saw you. It's been forever, dude. It has been forever, man. I I don't remember either. It may have been a show or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I don't know, but goddamn, dude, you've been busy. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, thankfully, man. Yeah, I've been sort of uh, splitting my time, you know, between few shows here and there and then the studio so mm -hmm. yeah uh, you're kind of like uh, we're, we're, we have a lot of, uh, in common now we have like so many bands like i don't know i feel like i'm i have so many projects going on that like i never play shows anymore you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's hilarious dude um <clears throat> yeah but you guys uh sword has gotten back on the road right yeah yeah we got uh, back together last fall um we hit the road with primus that was a wild ass tour um I, I I never thought that would happen. That was fucking cool though. Um, seeing those guys every night, and it's it was funny um, going back and watching like old Primus footage. Like they've changed so much over the years. Um, just the, their show now is more like a uh, like a, like a video projection kind of visual thing. They don't you know really 
jump around on stage that much anymore. They're not really even that loud. Like Larry's guitar wasn't even um, that loud in the mix ever. I don't know. It, it was a different beast, but uh, it was still uh, uh, an honor to be out on the road with them. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely, man. And I, I mean, I saw them a few times, you know, back in the day, like during the the Brown album, and um, and then I think last time I saw them was uh, when they did the like Willy Wonka thing or whatever. Oh like, shit! <laughs> yeah. Which was, cool. was nuts. Yeah, I never saw him play that, but I did. I uh, listened to the record, and it was like fucking dark, man. It was cool. Yeah, sure, man. I never, um, yeah, the first time I got to see them was uh, we did a um, the Soundwave tour, uh, which was like an Australian sort of heavy metal, punk, hip-hop, like catch-all kind of um, thing, and it was like 98 bands in one day. It was fucking, it was too much, but um, holy, yeah, that was the yeah. first time I had uh, ever seen them, and they, they were actually on uh, out with Jay Lane at the time, who was, uh, he was the drummer for Sausage um, before Prime yeah, yeah. Was, was even a, a band. And so, really, yeah. it wasn't even like seeing Primus. It was like watching Sausage play Primus songs. It was fucking cool, man. They were they were great. And like, I just I'll never forget like standing on stage. You know, it was like a hundred and five out and uh, playing. You know, Tommy the Cat and just like forty thousand people all just going say baby. You know, it, it was fucking intense. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, dude. But uh, even since that was maybe like ten years ago. But even since then, they've they've uh, mellowed out a little bit. They were doing that um, the Rush uh, tribute, but playing a Farewell to Kings oh, that, in its entirety. That, it was, yeah, fuck yeah. That was crazy. Like, I, I just, I, that's just madness. I mean, it's one thing doing Willy Wonka or whatever like that, but when you, like, take on a whole Rush album, that's just fucking insane. And they did it every night. Yeah, that is crazy, man. I actually wanted to see that, but, yeah, it just didn't work out. But... Shit happens. And uh, it's all my, uh, all the shows I ever wanted to see, I always miss because I was on tour or, like, um, playing, you know, <laughs> my own shows or doing doing something else like that. It's true, man fucking never go see shows but that's how it is we make the shows right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who who bakes for the baker you know <laughs> what uh you know one, th- one this sounds really shitty to say <clears throat> but if if you're in a band and and shit then you know what i'm talking about but there was there was a long long time when i just didn't pay to get into shows i you know it, it was i would just hit up our agent or whatever if if you know whoever was coming to town i would just be like hey man get me into the show for free uh, and doing that, you know, and shit like that. So uh, it, there came a point where I kind of like felt guilty about it and was like, yeah. you know, I should I should buy tickets. I should I should like pay the next show that comes through town. I'm going to buy two tickets and I, I'm going to do it. And it was uh, Rodriguez opening for uh, Brian Wilson at Bass Concert Hall. And the tickets were like one hundred and twenty five bucks. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. You people pay this money every single time you go out. to a show. <laughs> I had a yeah. whole different appreciation for it after that. Yeah, I'm always like, my wife wants to go see a show or whatever, and I'm like, uh, yeah, let me see who I could talk to. And then she buys tickets, like, just because she's obviously has her mind in a better place. So it's what normal people do, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, you buy tickets, like, I could have fucking asked, I don't know who, and she's like, buy the damn ticket. <laughs> yeah, after uh, after the pandemic and everything, um, when shows started coming back, I was I stopped calling it the guest list, and I started calling it the bitch list. I was like, "Oh, you a bitch, huh? You you <laughs> you bold enough to ask for a free ticket, huh? Okay, all right, yeah, you got it, man." <laughs> yeah, but some motherfuckers still have no shame, man. They're like, "Oh, you haven't worked in two years? Can you put me on the list?" I'm like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, God damn, dude. But yeah, you've uh, you've been busy as always. Uh, we uh, I've had uh, Adrian Casada and uh, Alex Marrero on the show before talking about. 
it was more like you know talking about black pumas and um and also the doom side of the moon with alex and stuff but um you all came from grupo fantasma which we've talked about uh, on the show before but i've never heard uh your point of view because it was uh you and greg um kind of started that vibe but not really that that band you all kind of did that together but um uh coming down from laredo right is uh kind of where y'all kind of got your start yeah exactly man um greg and i met in laredo that that's where i was born and raised greg moved there like sometime around like seventh grade or some shit like that so this was like in like 89 or 90 and and i met greg in eighth grade i was just starting to play guitar and he happened to to be playing starting to learn how to play bass um and we were both fucking heavy into metallica and megadeth and all the thrash shit you know from those years um and we just hit it off man and started playing his mom had a had a air-conditioned garage which which for laredo it's it's hot as fuck you know yeah. um like always so that was like i i actually like if we ever won some giant award, I think I'd probably thank his mom for her garage because that was like fucking formative, man. We got to <laughs> learn and practice in there with some AC. Um, but yeah, you know, Greg and I like came up to those high school years, started bands together, eventually started a band called The Blimp, which was kind of our first like, um, like band where we started doing regular gigs and as we graduated high school we started getting pain gigs at just like little shitty spots there in laredo laredo doesn't have any like infrastructure for for really professional musicians in any sort of way there are like bars or whatever that you can maybe talk them into letting your band play um but there was a pizza place that was also a pool hall that gave us like this weekend gig where we'd play Thursday through Saturday. So we did that. That was like the year we graduated high school in 95. We, we started doing that gig and really doing well, playing our own music. Um, before that we had been playing parties and shit, but that's that like residency, if you want to call it that or whatever, kind of gave us the idea that like, Hey, maybe we can actually do this shit, but we should get the fuck out of Laredo. Um, Let's go to Austin. Yeah, what was the direction like that musically like back then? Like what what kind of things were y'all dipping in and out of? Man, it was like really kind of weird shit, but uh ostensibly it was like funky music, I guess. You know, we were trying to play funk. It was kind of our own fucking weirdo way, but we also had like a metal background and a rock background, so it was informed by all that. It would have moments of like moshing. And then a lot of fucking dancing and just people kind of doing their own thing. But I think we decided early on, like, we got together to play initially, Greg and I, to play, like, Metallica covers. But then we really quickly started writing our own shit as bad and as weird as it was. But I think that that was also, like, just a big, like, sort of formative decision that we decided to write our own shit regardless of what it sounded like. And then we just kind of kept that vibe. So by the time we were doing this gig, it was mostly all our own shit. We only had a couple of covers in the set and people seemed to dig it. Like I said, and we were making like a tiny bit of money. I think they were paying us 500 bucks for the whole fucking weekend for, for like <laughs> for fucking three shows. Um, but we were like, yeah, dude, this is badass. Let's go to Austin. We made a four track fucking cassette, uh, demo and greg's brother already lived up here 
So he moved up, stayed with his brother. I moved up with my drummer. We connected up here um, and then started playing here. And it really like <laughs> all of our like big expectations. We, we fucking drove into town. My drummer and I jamming our demo as loud as possible with the windows down and drove by Antone's several <laughs> times. Like if somebody was going to run out, like, oh, fuck, what is that? Stop. Like, come back. <laughs> what is that glorious sound? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of silly. But, but yeah, we, we, we settled into what just became kind of a normal grind. I'm, I mean, it wasn't like some sort of like, oh, we got here and it just fucking took off. We actually got here. We played like two shows at parties and then our singer moved back home <laughs> and like shit kind of didn't really move that fast. And and I started going to school. Greg started going to school, but we kept just kind of gigging with that band parties and shit like that. Um, and then we eventually met up with Adrian um, somewhere in there, probably like 96, 97, because he was from Laredo also. So just meeting up with other people from Laredo here eventually kind of got together with him. And he had a band called the blue noise band um, that I'm, I'm sure he mentioned was kind of like a, like avant-garde kind of jazz thing. Um, and we started doing shows together, like at coffee houses and shit on the East side and lots of house parties. Um, but that sort of collaboration, just hanging out, listening to music, um, we had started to sort of incorporate some cumbia into our set with the blimp, just like little moments of cumbia. We might do one cover or like have a funk song that would go into a cumbia just to fuck around. And we obviously grew up with that in Laredo. Um, and like initially shunned it because we were into metal and shit and we were like, ah, oh, fuck that. But then we kind of came back around. We heard some really good shit like Colombian cumbia that mm -hmm. just really just and we started getting into that. Um, but yeah, that seed got planted. And then like in the late 90s, doing shows with Adrian's band, kind of doing okay here and there. We at some point decided to join up and make a big band. Like Adrian's band had a sax player, Dave, Dave Lobel. Um, and so he knew a couple other horn players. And we eventually put together this thing for a party that we called Young Silly Bitches. And that was, um, <laughs> I saw you posted that flyer the other day. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it was just, you know, stupid shit, but that was our first like foray into like a large band format with a horn section. Um, and we just did that for like special occasions, whatever, and just continued to play. But sometime in 2000, I guess, yeah, somewhere in there, Adrian and I were hanging out at his apartment like after a party or whatever kind of fucked up just listening to music and we were listening to the scumbia record it was a compilation called cumbia cumbia 2 um and it was all colombian old school colombian cumbia from like the 50s and 60s and we loved that record we were always jamming it and someone had the idea we were like like dude we should just do a show and play these fucking songs and I went home, whatever, the next day, Adrian had already called Damon Lang, from who, who now owns Nomad Sound. But at mm -hmm. the time, Damon was was booking bands and doing the sound at the Empanada Parlor on 6th Street. Um, and Damon agreed to give us a show. So Adrian called me that next day, and he's like, dude, I booked a show for the Cumbia Project. And I was like, fucking Cumbia Project? Like, 
all right, I guess we got to put a band together. Um, so yeah, we basically at that point just merged the blimp and the blue noise band and did that first show. I think we had six songs. It was like five cumbias and a Fela song that we were able to just kind of jam on for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And we did that set twice that night <laughs> because that, that was all the shit that we had. We like played it once, took a long ass break, came back and played it again. <laughs> but people dug it, and that was sort of the inception, man, of Beautiful Fantasma. That's where it started. That's badass, dude. I used to, because that was, uh, I started to become aware of y'all maybe around like 02, uh, 03. Whenever uh, Movimento Popular came out, I can't remember exactly when, but uh, uh, y'all, yeah. y'all used to play uh, Emos all the time. And uh, Emos yeah. was like, I've, I've said this before, but Emos was like the kind of, like the umbrella club for Austin. Like uh, you could go see Cephalic Carnage on Monday and you know Raekwon on Tuesday and Grupo on Wednesday you know it was just like but we were all there like five days a week it was like our clubhouse and y'all were the only band because I don't know back in the day like everyone was a little too cool for school you know just like didn't want to act like they liked the band too much you know just that kind of fucking leftover 90s mentality but uh y'all were the only yeah. band uh, outside emos that could just all of a sudden was like damn these butts are shaking you know what I mean? Like just people y'all were so good that like you got everybody to come out of their shell and uh just forget how cool they uh were for a minute, you know. That was I'll never forget those days. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, we all like at that time, especially when we were fucking just in our 20s and fucked up and having a good time, um our aesthetic or or what we tried to go for was sort of the opposite of what Latin music was in town up to that point, mm-hmm. which was like get fucking dressed up go out, pay like a pricey cover and dance only if you knew the fucking moves and could dance really well. Mm-hmm. Our our show was essentially a fucking rock show and we would just pack it in. Everybody was sweating, dance however the fuck you want. We we dressed however we wanted mm-hmm. to. We threw in like fucking ween covers and shit um, <clears throat> just, just to mix it up, you know what I mean? So we were kind of, I think, trying to offer just like a counterpoint to all the kind of stuffy Latin music that was going on at the time. So that's a, that's a really good way to put it. Um, one, one thing I did want to ask you about though, because especially that <clears> first <throat> record, um, I had seen y'all a bunch, but I, um, I think I was like, <clears throat> I think I was listening to NPR or something when they, they played a track off your, uh, record. And that's when I actually went, uh, down to Waterloo and bought the CD, the Movimento Popular. Um, yeah. and, um, it was, it sounded so different than y'all did live. And I was just curious, like what the, like what the production situation was like back then, because like it, it it sounded like like a big Miami like Latin yeah. pop record kind of. If that uh, yeah, I don't yeah, mean that no. negatively, but I just I always wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, so the first record was 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 almost a demo, but it really did reflect just what we were doing live. Like we just went in and cut it in one day, uh-huh. and there was a few covers on it of, of these old cumbias. And then in between the first and second record, we added some other members. And at that time, in that time period, um, we had a saxophone player. His name was Joseph Serato. He still plays like kind of jazz jazz stuff in town. But he joined the band. And then our timbalero, Jose Galeano, who, who was also the lead singer at that time, he's still in the band. But um, I love Jose. those two guys became <laughs> like Lennon McCartney. A Fantasma from that time period and they just started writing a shitload of songs and they were writing good songs we were digging them the crowd was digging them um but they definitely leaned towards 
that vibe. And then especially at that time, they were trying to go for something like that, for like a kind of club sort of thing. There was like a real mix of, of, of like, like I guess reggaeton was just kind of starting to take over. And I don't know, there was just like this, this weird crossover thing happening. And those guys in particular were going for that sound. So they, they kind of pushed that second record a lot at that time. Adrian was doing like hip hop production at the time. I was not recording music at all. I was just a guitar player. Um, so they kind of spearheaded that second record, chose the studio, all that shit. And we went in there and, and Joseph at the time was working a lot with reason, the, the DAW reason. Um, so he was like, for that record, he had sequenced all these beats and stuff. I didn't really know what I was doing in the studio at that time. So I don't know how to like push back and not, to say that I totally hated or anything, but it was like another direction. Yeah. And it really like, because those guys spearheaded it, that's what came out on that record. And to be honest at the time in, in 2003 or whatever, it, it felt modern. And then to look at like what was big in Latin music, it sort of felt like, Oh, this is a modern record. Maybe it'll fit in there. Maybe we'll get on these big shows or whatever. Um, but Pretty quickly afterwards, especially with like Adrian and Greg and myself, we we realized like, man, this is not what we're going for. This isn't the sound that we're going for. And then we actually parted ways with Joseph not that long after that for other reasons, you know, that I'm going to get into. But um, but it was at that point, really, where we decided to take more control of the sound, Adrian, Greg and myself we were already playing with Brownout, which we had total control over. And we're going for this like old school kind of deep funk, like just really analog vibe or whatever. Um, so the next record that we made was a live record. Cause we were like, Hey, that second album, like mm -hmm. doesn't sound like the band at, at all. So we need to show people like what's really happening here, which at the time it was all about the live show. We were packing shows multiple nights here in town or whatever. And that's, all everyone talked about was like these dudes live are badass so we were like that's album is the opposite of these dudes live let's make a live record so we made a live record and then the record after that so nino's gold was the first one i think where we actually started to find our sound and it was where we really started to to figure out how to work in the studio and how to get the things we wanted out of the studio man i remember i had a front row seat for all that shit man like a, just seeing it all happen, you know, like just as a concert goer or like seeing y'all backstage at festivals and just watching the band grow and evolve uh, like that, man. It, it was that was really something special. It's a huge part of uh, Austin music history. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, yeah, those were great, great fucking years. It was a lot of fun. We were having a great time that that whole decade, the first decade of mm -hmm. the 2000s, I would say were 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 nothing but but upward trajectory that, you know? that shit was nuts too because at, at the i mean it was it was kind of the same for us we came around a little bit later we formed around like oh three um but hit the ground running uh, just because we had all been in bands before and knew what and what not to do and things like that but um uh whenever i feel like our our rises were kind of parallel just in two different 
uh, you know, oceans of music. And uh, but it was always funny because no matter what, we always ended up playing like the same festivals, and we would always see y'all backstage and just uh, fucking burn all the weed down. You know, and uh, just uh, have a lot of fun just swapping stories and stuff. Because y'all, you know, uh, once the live record came out and y'all, uh, we talked about this with Adrian a little bit, but just uh, getting on Prince's radar and then y'all all of a sudden just sort of being scooped up into that world sort of happened at the same time that we got scooped up by Metallica, you know, and we were all just sort of in these surreal worlds, you know, that um, that that we were that we all wanted. But that I don't know about I can't speak for you, but just I, I was sorely prepared for. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. And uh, it, it was a lot of, <laughs> lot of learning on the job uh, and things like that. But it was always fun uh, seeing y'all backstage somewhere and just, you know, y'all are like this fucking enormous Latin orchestra that just wanted Metallica stories and we're just a bunch of dorky white kids that wanted print stories and, and shit like that. <laughs> Those were good days, man. Yeah, definitely, man. And, and, and it, I think I had mentioned to you, but like when you guys started working with Metallica and shit, I mean, I... I was already a fan of you guys. Like I remember seeing you all at, at, at the compound at Damon's old spot uh-huh. being like, Holy shit, these guys are fucking badass. Cause you were like, had the sound of, of the metal that I love, you know? Um, but when you all like started doing shit with Metallica and stuff, like I was like, damn, these guys are like, like living the dream that I set out to actually do <laughs> like to play fucking metal and specifically like i was into metallica and i was like damn somehow i ended up in a latin band but you guys are fucking out there like rocking this heavy shit that that i wanted to do but yeah i was always super proud of you guys and super into it man well thanks and i want to i wanted to talk about that for a second about the the, just the word latin getting as a blanket term for music or whatever because like for as many bands as you that i that i've seen you be with be a grupo or Brown out, and then that turning into Brown Sabbath, and then Money Chicha, and then just uh, uh, going into the band that we're about to talk about, uh, Caramelo Hayes, your your new project, which is fucking awesome, by the way. Um, I absolutely love that record. Um, but my, Thank you, man. In, in my opinion, like it's, uh, I hate being like this guy that's like it's just music, man. You know, but <laughs> it's like it, every everybody's got to put a sticker on something. You know, everybody's got to have a label um, to. To, to categorize it under or a little box to put it in. But um, I, f- I feel like, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here, but I feel like a lot of music that just isn't sung in English just gets labeled world music. And uh, I just, I don't know. I, I take offense to that. And um, it's, it, there's so much more, like what, is, what is world music? What does that even mean? That doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Um, like, but then it could used to be like, this is a Latin record because it's, you know, sung in Spanish or, or this because it has, has a slight, you know, cumbia groove to it, then it has to be Latin. I don't know. Like what? Cause I've, I've seen you like, like Brown out, like you said, is like a whole deep funk, like kind of, I guess it started off like an instrumental kind of like, or, or like gang vocal kind of thing, you know, and then Grupo is, you know, a more traditional actual, you know, like Latin big band kind of thing. But um, how do you feel about that? Like, what do you feel about the different like genre trappings and, and things like that as, especially, um, as it relates to like your new album? Um, it's definitely problematic. And I've always felt that way. Um, because, because I think more than anything, it's limiting. like, there's an identity for sure that you can pull from it and you can be proud of or whatever, especially if you're deliberate with it. But I think that once you put that label on it, once it's like Latin or world, it's limiting, like the world that you, exist in musically um and commercially essentially 
becomes much smaller. Mm-hmm. Like if you're just, like if you're a rock band or I don't know, just like pop music or whatever, then it's there's this this whole wider access. And as soon as you call it this other thing, it becomes really small because you can look at a roster for a music festival, for example, and the bands that are labeled, you know, Latin music, there's going to be, I mean, this is changing for sure. And only in the last few years have I started to see like bands or musicians that would be labeled Latin headlining these major like rock and pop festivals. Um, And that's been like a super pleasant surprise. And that's been really great to see, but it's still like only a handful of acts for the most part compared to, you know, like 90% of the, of the rest of the festival is not labeled Latin. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, man, like I released this record uh, uh, last year called the Los Sundowns, which was kind of an instrumental, um, it, it's hard to describe, but kind of <laughs> instrumental, like somewhat like rock, somewhat um, like psychedelic kind of soulish stuff. I was inspired by ballads, like mainly Latin American ballads of like the 60s. Very similar to the record that Adrian just put out. We both have an affinity for that music. Mm-hmm. He kind of took a different approach than I took, though, for for that one. But anyway. You know, when you're going to put a record out and you got to put all the metadata and all that shit together so that it goes into the, the streaming services and whatever and it gets in the right place. Um, <clears throat> you have to choose like these genres. And, yeah. and I was super like hesitant and I actually did not put Latin on it because of that, because I felt like it was super limiting. I just called it like uh, soul, I think. And I don't even know if that fits correctly, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's really difficult to make those decisions and put those labels on there. Um, And like I said, there's kind of this misconception and it really just, I think limits your audience um, and ultimately your reach and your access. So it's, it's a tough decision to label something I think as that, as Latin or whatever. Um, and then also because people, hey guys, I'll 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 relay a quick like anecdote just in terms of how people perceive like quote unquote Latin music. I have the band Money Chicha, and this happens with all the bands, but with Money Chicha, I think it's the fucking weirdest because I like specifically try in that band to emulate this like Peruvian style of cumbia. Like real chicha, they, right? You know, like yeah, real yeah. chicha. And every aspect of how I play in that band, like the guitar solos, whatever, all the phrasing, like there's no bends in that music with with the guitar, like everything is is um weird weird little hammer ons and stuff. I, like I, I call just, it uh, playing guitar like a piano. Yeah, yeah. So I try to be very specific about how I play that gig. Then I add some weird-ass effects on it, like this fucking vibrato that detunes it and shit. So so for me, it's fucking psychedelic and weird. Without fail, people will come up to me after, like, at least one person will come up and be like, that was great. You sound like Santana. 
<laughs> and I'm just like, dude, first of all, did you listen to the show? <laughs> Second of all, have you ever heard Santana? <laughs> but that's like the the one basic point of reference. And yeah. and like I fucking love Santana and he definitely broke a lot of ground and I still listen to him and 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 actually as we speak he just had like he passed out on stage or whatever i, I think he's that. doing yeah so all love to santana um but i don't fucking sound like santana <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking badass but the i i did want to ask uh, about money chicha though um because it's just it's just you uh greg and and john right still just the three uh, of you? No, we have Sweet Lou on congas. And, oh, okay. Yeah, and then Peter Stopshinsky, um, local Austin composer and and uh, freak genius, but uh, he's playing keys. Okay, okay. So never mind that my my comment goes out the window because I was gonna say like what what was what was it like going from like a fourteen piece big band through all your different bands and then, then you finally whittle it down to three people, but. I guess you just answered my question because now you're up to five. So pretty soon money Chicha's is going to be like, <laughs> like nine people up there. Well, no, see, cause that was, that was actually really deliberate before we had a keyboard player. It was two guitars. Cause Adrian and I formed money Chicha also. So, but I, did, the, I didn't I, realize yeah. Adrian was a part of that. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, he was initially in it from, from 2010 to 2015. Um, but dude, that was a deliberate move. It was like we have all these giant bands. Let's make a smaller band, and kind of the smallest we could get was five pieces. <laughs> um, but we were like, no fucking horns. We don't have to deal with horns. Let's just make this some guitar shit. But yeah, that was a deliberate move to make it smaller, and it's much easier to fucking deal with. Hell yeah, it is. Jesus Christ, I don't know how y'all toured with that many people in a van. Like that's just ridiculous. Because we would, I don't know, we we would tour like up and down the Midwest and or just all over the states really, and just see y'all's stickers backstage at the same clubs that we were playing you know and i was just like good god like this dressing room couldn't even hold us like how could 14 motherfuckers like <laughs> chill at this yeah. club you know <laughs> yeah it was a lot of close quarters and fucking small stages and whatever just trying to make do mm -hmm. well uh I, I i remember one time y'all were I, uh, this might have been utopia fest or something um i wasn't there but you, you told me the story and i did see the video of it um, you got asked uh, to join Aaron Freeman on stage, who, um, if nobody out there knows, he is uh, Gene Ween. Uh, that was uh, his real name is Aaron Freeman, and then that's what his uh, solo act is. But um, y'all got to play uh, with him uh, one time. It was just one song that he he wanted to play Buenas Tardes Amigo, but I, it's like he didn't have a band with him or something. And like y'all got asked like backstage at the fest to like uh, get up there and. And play it with him and y'all had to like go learn the song like in a couple of hours and then like join him uh for his show man well what was that shit like yeah <laughs> yeah man that was a lot of fun and that was a crazy experience so that was like right when he had left ween uh -huh. and had gone like sober and and it was kind of controversial i guess because there were like he made some allegations against against dean um or something like that i don't know but Anyway, they're they're back to playing together. I remember so, there but, was it was a weird time. It was like some bad blood there for a second, but yeah, they seem to be doing fine now. I don't know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So so this was like his his first kind of solo shit or whatever, and he was at Utopia. They had sort of brought it up, like, hey, would would Grupo or some guys from from Grupo do this song with him? Um, and we said yes, 
And then when we got to the festival, they ended up telling us like, no, it's not going to happen, whatever. So, so we played earlier that day and I asked again, Hey, are we going to have to play with him? And they said, no. So we were like, cool. So after we finished playing, I ate a mushroom, <laughs> one, <laughs> one single fucking mushroom. Cause I was going to hang out and watch music for the rest of the night. Well, dude, like just shortly before he's going to go on, they're like, he wants you to play. And I'm like starting to get weird at that point. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, seriously, like that song for people that don't, that don't know, it has like a, like a, this very iconic solo, you know, that starts with this like huge, like line. So I was like, I can't fuck that up. Like, I have to be able to play that, and I don't even know it. And it's not that hard, but... The little descending thing that... Yeah. Yeah, but it's a huge moment in that song. Yes, exactly. And then on top of it, just being fucking weirded out with the shroom, I was like, God damn it. (laughs) So I went back and fucking listened to it and got it. And yeah, man, he invited us on stage. He was like super gracious and super nice. But on top of it, you know, like I've, I've been a Ween fan forever. And they're Same. notorious for their partying, right? Mm-hmm. But at that moment, he's sober. He's like totally sober, and there's a big deal about him being completely sober. And then I'm on stage with him, which, which was like a like an awesome thing. Like, oh shit, I'm getting to play with him, but I'm fucking tripping, and he's sober. So it was just like a weird juxtaposition. <laughs> Dude, I love playing on shrooms, but you have to do it just right. You know what I mean? The the, the window of, of error is fucking small, man. Exactly, exactly. But, I mean, it, it ended up working. The crowd loved it. I listened back to that recording, and my solo is, like, super tense because I was trying to hold my fucking mind together, basically. <laughs> but, but it was super fun, and it was a good time. Oh, man, that's rad. Uh, thanks for sharing that, man. I really appreciate that. I always love asking people. Sometimes it's like, what's the... Like, what's the the craziest time when whenever like you're backstage and you just look around at who who you're hanging around and you're like, I cannot believe they let me in here, you know? Yeah, <laughs> little shit like that. But um, man, uh, but yeah, now you got uh, Caramelo Hayes going on, which is like I said, it's fucking incredible. Um, it's again, it's like it defies genre, um, just because it's, I don't know, it's 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 pop, but it's. I mean, it's got a Latin flair to it, but it's like I love the. I don't, dude, it's hard to describe. It's it's really fucking good, man. Like, well, where, where did that come from? Thank you, man. Um, yeah, we had the same issues, man, trying to figure out where to put that and how to say it, and um, because we didn't like put any sort of parameters on it going into it, and there were no constraints. Um, my really good friend Alex Chavez who plays uh, synthesizers and sings on that record. Uh, he's based in Chicago. He used to live here in Austin and had a band called Maneja Beto back in the early 2000s um, that would often play with Grupo Fantasma. But he's since gone on. He's a fucking PhD professor at Notre Dame, and he's an amazing musician, um, multi-instrumentalist, very versed in Mexican folkloric music as well as rock music whatever he he plays guitar plays keys sings um he approached me in 2020 when we were all fucking locked down and just kind of sitting around not knowing what the fuck to do he hit me up and was like dude what if i come down and just hang out for a week and we record some music like 
try to do an EP is what he said. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. He's like, I can get tested or whatever and just come down and make sure we're all good and whatever. And then we just lock ourselves in the fucking studio. I have my studio here in Buda, Let Your House Music. Um, so I was like, yeah, let's fucking do it, man. And the only parameters were the idea of a sonic palette, which he came up with. He was like, send some 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 tracks that have like sounds that you'd like to explore. And mm-hmm. one of them was the Juno uh, 160, that synthesizer, that he owned one. So he's like, I, I want to use this. Um, it comes in fat right in the first track too, man. Like just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then I had a couple other ideas like that, like my weird fucking vibrato pedal that I use. Like I was like, I want everything to be fucking weirdly out of tune. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, then I thought about Victor Cruz, who plays in a band called Nemnegata here in Austin. Um, he's part of this like Colombian community that of of artists that that have really started doing a bunch of cool shit here in town. And I've had the pleasure of recording a bunch of those bands like Superfonicos, Kiko Villamizar, and Nemegata, who really is like a rock kind of power trio, but with informed by Colombian tradition. Um, Victor is like very similar to Alex in the sense that he's a multi-instrumentalist and he has a lot of like deep knowledge of Colombian folkloric music. So I thought, right away i was like man we should invite victor i think you two guys would do well together and kind of hit it off so so he was like yeah let's do it and then john spies got wind of the session and he was like you need a drummer and i was like you know i don't know yet and he's like i don't give a shit i'm going (laughs) (laughs) that that is such a john thing to fucking say (laughs) exactly so he just showed up so we had the four of us in here and that first week just went fucking really well and really quick with with not much effort, honestly. We just kind of hit it off. That's how you know you're doing it right. Yeah, exactly. Just like fucking songs just started flowing. And it went so well that we were like, man, fucking EP. Like, let's set up another session and let's do a whole record. So he came back in September. We did another week and we ended up with 10 songs. Um and then mixed it in 2021. I think we were done like in April. And we did it all here in-house. So I recorded it um, and mixed it as well as played guitar on it. But, man, we were just super stoked about it. And sometime at the end of 2021, I started kind of pitching it to some labels to see if we could get somebody to put it out. And National Records um, ended up being into it. And that's where it lives now. And it came out um, June 24th. It's a fucking great record, man. I've I listened to it like three times since you sent it to me, and uh, it's I'm super proud of you, man. You've I've, I've watched your musical journey over the years, and it's just you keep coming up with fucking rad shit. Um, it, I'm seriously proud of you, man. It's awesome. Thank you, man. I really appreciate. That. In the record, it's called it's called uh, No Estás Aquí, right? Like as one word. Yeah, exactly. That, that, a... that means you are not here, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was, was is there any meaning behind that, or did you just think it was? A clever title. Uh, that was sort of I. I think Alex came up with that. Um, yeah, it was sort of this like, it kind of exists on multiple levels. One of them being sort of like, we felt like what we did was kind of futuristic, but also kind of old school. Like I don't know, it just seemed like out of time, and so the idea that like the listener is not 
where we are or where we were when we recorded it just sort of in a i don't know spacey sort of way yeah like you're not actually here um but because because a big part of it for us was was psychedelia like we wanted the record to be weird and kind of spacey and psychedelic so so we just wanted to attach that sort of to the title there and just the whole vibe of it you know that's cool man is there a is there a track off of it that you want to play for everybody man um i'm really proud of all of them and i really dig a bunch of them but one of them that i think would be great just in this context um is is mi acento which is like this six eight um kind of heavy like really african influenced track and i think it just showcases a lot of what we went for um and it's pretty different from the rest of the record though so Hell it's yeah. not a just say like if someone hears it to be like oh that's what it sounds like like no the record's like all over the place but yeah i i dig that one a lot fuck yeah dude beto thanks so much for sitting down with us man it's so good to catch up we gotta fucking we gotta get a beer sometime or something man I would love to, man. And yeah, thank you for having me, man. It's uh, my my pleasure and honor to speak with you here on your show. Oh, your brother. Oh, shit. I almost, well, man. I almost forgot uh, that <laughs> one of our stoned ideas that we had one time. You were, it was right when Doomside of the Moon came out, and we were like, I think we were a little darling or something like that, like having a beer and talking about it. You were like, man, we should do something. Like, cause you said you always wanted to do a, a Crosby, Stills, and Nash thing, but uh, <laughs> you said, like, do it with me, but do it all super drugged out and call it Crosby, Pills, and Hash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, I, I seriously went home and, like, tried to, like, think about it, but I was like, there's such a vocal band, you know, that, like, it's that would have to be a huge part of it. But I don't know, man. Maybe we get together <laughs> and uh, smoke a blunt and uh, see what we can come up with. <laughs> For sure, man. Really, it's just a cool ass name. I don't even know if the music lends itself to that, but yeah, probably feels. <laughs> and I got the Instagram already, so nobody can steal that shit. Oh hell yeah! Oh dude, it's on. <laughs> we have we have to make this or at least one song. Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> well, fuck, uh, much love for you, Beto, and uh, dude, Caramelo Hayes out now. We're gonna listen to Miasinto right now, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Cal.
thanks for tuning in to The Highway with Kyle Shutt. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe if you want to keep up with the latest episodes. And don't forget to check out The Highway with Kyle Shutt playlist on Spotify to keep up with all the rad tunes that we play on the program. And if you need some new gear in your life, don't forget to check out Reverend Guitars, Railhammer Pickups, Idiot Box Effects, and Ray Ray Decker Cables. Stay high, everybody. We'll see you next week.